0: My guest today is the global head of commercial development with Automata. Here's what some of her colleagues say about her. A demand generation innovator. Truly the most talented relationship builder I've ever worked with. A great example of a modern marketer with business development professional. A great example of a modern marketer and business development professional. Highly professional. A strategic thinker with an excellent eye for operational planning and achieving great results. Rebecca Pierce, you're very welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much, Paul. It's a, an absolute pleasure to be here and talking to you today.
0: Pleasure's all mine, Rebecca. Tell me, Rebecca, if you could take me back, tell me a little bit about where you grew up and what's a childhood you had.
1: I am Welsh by origin, and I grew up with in a lovely place called Penarth, just outside of Cardiff went to a local school there, had a lovely childhood, parents really invested in our, mine and my sister's education. So I was very lucky. I was then able to, I actually went to a boarding school in Bristol for a couple of years, which was uh, great fun. Perhaps I had a bit too much fun, more fun than education, but I had a lot of fun doing that as well, really made me a lot more confident and more worldly wise going away to school for a couple of years, then moved to London. Went to uni in London and after London moved out to Hong Kong for three years before and after the the handover in 1997. So I was there for when it was part of the UK and then obviously after China took on the responsibility of Hong Kong. That's a very short version of my background and I suppose life where I've been.
0: Interesting because and I think Hong Kong might be the answer I was going to ask you When did you lose the... You have neither a Welsh nor a Bristol accent. Uh, It's a kind of a Southeastern accent as as I'm detecting it. And I'm wondering, was that Hong Kong, typically when people often, when they live abroad, they tend to, the edges of their natural accent tends to, it becomes more international.
1: I, yes, I think you're very right. When people live abroad, it does become very natural, international. I would say it happened when I was younger. I was actually incredibly shy, Paul, and I wouldn't I, I wouldn't speak to people. If the phone went in the house, I couldn't pick up the phone. So my my parents were very keen to ensure that I got on, I was a lot more confident. So I did a public speaking elocution it's called. So I did a lot of public speaking when I was younger, which which was started me on the route to getting a bit more confidence although I was still a very shy person in my early teens very shy
0: is that what you meant when you said your parents invested in you in things like that
1: very much yeah absolutely so I think they were aware that I was incredibly shy and yes they did put a lot of investment into my education yeah I think Hong Kong really I've actually written a note about this that I was very shy moving out to Hong Kong you had to just jump in their feet first and that's what I did and After three years, I came back and I was a very different person to the person that went out there. And uh, yeah, it really toughens you up. There's no opportunity to be on the sidelines and be a shrinking violet. You've really got to be uh, confident and go getting and be determined because you see everyone else doing it. And you have to be part of that, that, that ride as well. Otherwise you'll fail.
0: Yeah. I always had this impression with places like Hong Kong, Singapore where you have a large expat environment, community. Yeah. Is that it's like this treadmill that's moving at a pace. Mm -hmm. And if you're not, if your legs are not running when you hit it, you're going to fall over. Definitely. That's what what I imagine it's like. Definitely. Curious, what brought you to Hong Kong?
1: It was, oh, am I allowed to say this? My (laughs) ex-husband. I was married at the time, (laughs) my first I think that's allowed. My post tells went, it's all right. Yeah. Unless he's buried under the garden somewhere, it's, not, it's probably it's okay. We're actually on LinkedIn together, so I'm sure he'll watch this and giggle. But uh, yeah, hey, we was working for a company. We went out together and out to Hong Kong together. So that's that's why we went out. And it, hey, put it this way, Paul. it was a great experience. It was very hard work, but we also played hard, did a lot of traveling as well. And yeah, it was great. But I know that... I came back and I think he did. We came back as very different people when we came back to the yeah. UK. But uh, interestingly enough, we chose not to live in those expat areas. We actually chose to live in more local areas. So Northern Territories, mm. we moved up there and we learnt Cantonese really badly. Mm. But you could get by in, in Cantonese with going yeah. to the food shops and things like that. So that was great fun. That was culturally, that was so much fun. It really was. Really got to know the culture. I can imagine.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Listening to you now in the what five minutes we've been speaking, I cannot imagine you ever being shy. I'd like to talk ah. to you a little bit about that for the sake, because I think there's a lot of people out there who are shy, maybe socially, yeah, uncomfortable maybe in networking or speaking yeah. up at meetings, et cetera. Yeah. And you've been through that. And how would you, what would you, how would you advise people who maybe feel, yeah, that their voice is lost and maybe want to speak up, but are just uncomfortable doing?
1: My, my advice is preparation. So you're going to a conference, you're going to a meeting, prep, the kind of question, even s- silly questions. How's the weather? How, where have you come from? Tell me about your office, your work, your job. You have that preparation. Have it written down somewhere. And I use, I've always used this thing. It's, I refer to it. It's my own as It's a very black and white mind. You have to clear your mind of anxiety, of stress, of, oh my gosh, this could be a nightmare. I'm not going to, I'm not going to bring any leads back from a conference. This is going to mm. be disastrous. You have to clear your mind of everything. So it's very inside your mind. It's very black and white. There's nothing there. And as you start Building that list of what you want to say at a conference at a, or at a meeting, you have it on your cards, but also you have it in your mind as well. And you ensure with that black and white mind that you, you haven't got that anxiety coming through saying, don't speak to them because they're too high. Don't speak to them or don't ask them that question because they'll laugh at you. You should know that already. You go in and you ask those questions and you, you prepare yourself. And there will be occasions at a conference or a meeting where perhaps there are things you don't quite understand, but that I never feel there's ever a stupid question. I say to my teams over and over again, ask me, talk to me. It's never a stupid question. If you don't understand what something is, if you're not happy about asking me in a meeting with everyone else, get on Slack. Let's have a quick call. WhatsApp me and ask me that question.
0: Yeah. People say they're shy or they're introverted or they're uncomfortable. There's never one thing you said about going to a conference and maybe being uncomfortable speaking up because somebody is perceived to be more senior, and that could be something that that is a barrier. You mentioned earlier about not answering a phone. That could have a different. There's a different reason, maybe, why you might be uncomfortable to that because I see people nowadays, particularly the Gen Zs, are hate answering the phone. Yeah, even though they are maybe comfortable in many other social contexts, or Somebody may feel uncomfortable speaking up at a meeting because they think they've got nothing valuable to say, rather than your point is have something valuable to ask, which is a completely different thing. Yeah. Uh, And yeah, I'm wondering how much the public speaking was part of your journey to confidence.
1: Uh, I think a lot of it, I think a lot initial when I was public speaking as a youngster. I think I started public speaking from these lessons, these kind of, elocution. They called Lambda, the London Academy of blah, 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 whatever. And I must have started those at about eight or nine years of age. And being told that you're going to do the exams and standing in front, in a room, in Wales, in Cardiff, in a huge room, and there's a load of people all waiting. You have to go in, you're reciting stuff, you're talking. They're asking you questions. You have to respond. I remember the first time doing it, terrifying, absolutely terrifying. I was like, oh God, I don't know. I don't want to do this. But actually coming out and thinking, crikey, I did that. And the more and more you did it, the more confident you, you became. In my role now, I have to speak to my teams all the time. I, I During lockdown with LinkedIn, I remember doing a LinkedIn navigator talk on a webinar talk for global. Of course, I had no idea how many people were there, but it was huge. But I think it's when you've got a Paul, when you have a passion for something, when you enjoy something that much, then you speak with passion. I love LinkedIn. I love my, my main loves are LinkedIn. I love all, a lot of the software as a service that you can get when you're doing business development, I, I just use those. I think they're great. They're great for how I can effectively execute a good, I can create a good biz dev team. I love business development. I've been doing it for so many years and I just feel for me, I'm, I need to communicate and pass on my knowledge to that next generation. I think I wrote a post on LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago and said, this is what it's all about. It's me passing on my experiences to that next generation. In 10 years time, when my first ever BDR comes to me and says, I'm now made a salesperson. And those little tips that you gave me have got me on that ladder. And I do get, Paul, I get lots of my old biz dev people reaching out to me, telling me where, what they're up to, or I need your advice, I need some help, or you'll never guess what's just happened, or I've I've got a new job and I love that. For me, it's just, for me, it's just the best job ever to hear the progress.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I think think that speaks to a fundamental human need we have to make a difference. And when you can make a difference in other people's lives, there's nothing better because that can scale because then they impact other people and so on. Yeah. I'd like to talk to you about business development and also then your own leadership journey around that and what that was like or what that is like. But I have a few questions because I'm all development is one of those things that is changing so fast. Yeah. Both in terms of the tools that are available, yeah, the tactics that are used, mm-hmm. but also the personalities of the and the culture of the people coming through is different to maybe business development as it didn't exist 20, 30 years ago anyway, as, as a standalone entity. Tell me what you feel has changed most in the last couple of years about how business development is executed.
1: I think it's a software. I think for me, I think with COVID, I've worked remotely for 11 years. The job where it's automata, I'm on a hybrid basis. So I go in, go into the office in London from time to time. So I need to have, I need to be aware of what my team are doing. Uh, And so I use quite a bit of software in order to be able to do that for them to do their job, but for me to be able to see what they're doing. So I think that's changed a lot. The software offerings that are available on the market these days. It's amazing. It's really good. So I I could work in my office. I'm based down on Dartmoor, Devon. So I could sit here remotely 24-7 and actually have full visibility of my team without actually seeing them, which is what I've done in the past for, for 11 years. So I think software offerings. I do think with this generation, they are they're ready to move. They think they're ready to move sooner rather than later. So after six months, they're wanting to to move, and they're very ambitious. You look at their CVs, Paul. And I was speaking to a relative of mine that they they were looking for a job, and I said it's great you've got these qualifications, but you need so much more than your uni degree or your A levels or your GCSEs because when I'm looking for Someone, I'm looking to see what did you do outside of the box. What was it? Did you travel? Did you, what did you do? Did you hit a crisis in your life, and what did you do to come out of that? Mm. I said to this this relative, um, I want to see what you've done. Tell me you've travelled abroad. And did you manage a team of kids in a camp America, kind of camp Canada, whatever kind of situation? What did you do when one of them fell in or fell out of their canoe? Or what did you do? I want to see that. As for me, it's it can take 30 seconds to go to a CV to see. I'm looking at the qualifications. Yeah, whatever. I want to see what they've done outside of that. And I want to see how ambitious they are. They are all ambitious, but I really want to see the ones. I'm going to take on the ones that are ambitious, but have got that passion and drive to carry that
0: through as well. How do you temper that desire to move on before somebody's ready and the need to master a function, a job, a role?
1: So, when I interview them, I always say, you've got 12 months with me, whether you like it or not. The 12 months is to learn the business, learn what, so my, my current company, Automata, what Automata is all about. Learn the structure, how everything works. And then after six months, I do actually put in place a progression plan. So we actually, I have a proper progression plan that we work through the steps. So it'll get them to the 12th month of when they're looking to then move on. So it's a proper progression plan. So after that six months, when they are starting to get their itchy feet, I can actually pass them this progression plan saying, right, here we go. Let's put you on this plan. It's not just meeting with me or hitting your numbers. It's about meeting the founder of the company. It's about getting to know what marketing does, spending time with them, learning about operations, learning about different areas, different angles. I will send them out on external training as well. So there are lots of different factors. So they feel as though they are actually on that journey because they'll lose interest and then they'll start looking on the likes of LinkedIn for another job. And then they'll be hopping from one to the other. They'll never be satisfied. So actually giving them a purpose, giving them a progression plan, I think is super important, especially after that six months because they're so driven for, I I need a promotion after six months or whatever it is, actually giving them a reason to stay with me for six months and a plan as well.
0: Yeah, No, the, the thing about business development that I'm fascinated with is this breakdown between tools like LinkedIn, outreach, et cetera, et cetera, email, just even at a basic level, and communicating with people directly over the phone or maybe over a Zoom call. Yeah. What's the current state of play with that?
1: I use a cadencing software. So I actually use Salesloft. I've used Salesloft with three different companies now, and I make sure that all my team have to use this cadencing software. Within those cadences, there's the emails, in mails, we actually write postcards as well because who receives posts these days? So it's that's one of those things. Um, we're introducing Vidyard, so video messaging, but also there's a phone call. And my team, my current team, they. That We don't have as much success with phone calls because our clients, our potential clients are in labs all day, but I still make them pick up that phone first because you can leave a message and someone will pick it up after. But secondly, I don't want that, the tradition of picking up the phone to ever die. So they still need to, whether they're here with me and this company for the next five years or whether they decide to move in 18 months to another company. And work in sales or biz dev, they're still gonna have to pick up the phone, regardless of whether they like it or not. That's never going to disappear. Yeah. And people say cold calling is dead. Up to a certain point, it is. But if you wrap calling with mail messages, email, vidyards, you you are already making that slow and then lukewarm introduction before you pick up that phone. So I think it's I think it's vital, Paul. Absolutely crucial.
0: And I think what I'm hearing is that you, what you're doing is you're not taking the phone out of the game. You're just taking the, you're warming it up a little bit with yeah. other tools. Yeah. Because I'm always reminded the people who say cold calling is dead, they're usually trying to sell you something else. <laughs> and they're appealing to the idea that nobody wants to do that, particularly yeah. when that relationship hasn't started in any way. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think anybody has a difficulty speaking to somebody if they've already had a conversation online and started something and there's a desire. I think it's the fear that of how they're going to the other person might react to a stranger, for example, and I get that exact same boat. Tell me in terms of what you're doing, what motivates you most?
1: In my job, what motivates the most is watching my team grow. It sounds a bit naff, doesn't it? And I'm sure my team will go, oh my God, listen to her talk, but it's for me. It's the best feeling ever is watching them progress. And first time at a conference, I had one of my colleagues recently go to a conference and we went through a little sort of 101 on what you're going to expect at this conference. He comes back, oh, this is just brilliant. I love it. I got to know my team. I got to know Automata colleagues, but also I got to know the product. I got to sell it face-to-face and build that mm. conference. And so for me, that is gold dust because wherever... Mm that BDR goes, he's gonna have the confidence to actually speak to people face to face. So for me, what drives me my passion is watching them progress as the future develop the, the future of business, whether they go into sales or operations or whatever they do, they've had that I'd like to think they've had that grounding in business. Mm-hmm. So that that for me is my passion.
0: When you go back to a much younger Rebecca. I, I'm curious to know who inspired you most to become the person you are today?
1: Uh, oh, I, I had a feeling you might ask this question. So I had my inspiration. I came across lots of people. People say, oh, my, my teacher. I never really had that thing of having, oh, the teacher really inspired me. I didn't really have that kind of that never happened to me. I suppose, I, I suppose my father. Was very much my inspiration, worked really hard all his life, marathon runner, he used to disappear off walking around here, strangely enough, uh, when I was a lot younger, around in, in Wales, Brecon Beacons. So, very much someone who was very much my inspiration. Did I know that at the time? Probably not, but through his guidance. And now he died about 20 years ago. But now, as I look back, I think very much my inspiration to overcome course in life and just get on with it. And when things hit you down, when things push you down, you've just got to get back up and do it. I think he'd love me to have done a marathon run. It's never going to happen on a month of Sundays. So not going to happen. I'll do it 5K and that's it.
0: I once said that. I once said, (laughs) I was out one night with my wife and her sister's husband and I hadn't even never done a... Uh, 5K up to that stage, maybe two miles would be the maximum. I hated running with a passion. And we were talking, it was a February, we were talking about goal setting. Just, you know, it was, wasn't really goal setting, it was New Year's resolutions. Yeah. Different type of conversation, but similar.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: And my brother-in-law was going to be running the marathon. He decided he was going to do it. My wife just happened to mention, why don't you do the marathon with Mark? And I said, are you kidding me? You, you must be off your rocker. I hate running. She said, yeah, anyway, you're probably too old. <laughs> that was February, October. I follow, I crossed that line. No. And, did you yep, really? I did, yeah. Uh, wow. I wouldn't do it again, but I'm delighted I did it. It's yes. something nobody can ever take from you because no. it's one hell of an effort you have to put into it. There yeah. are many moments you face that. Would I just turn left and take the short journey and go home or push on and do the long route and you're dragging one in front of another.
1: Amazing.
0: Yeah. There's no shortcut to it. Although I do think some people are built for it. I have a neighbor who just used to casually jog maybe up to kind of 10 miles maximum and just decided I'll do the marathon this Sunday. And sure enough Uh, did it and did it way better than I ever did it. Some people are, they have the anatomy for it, but uh, yeah. I don't just say. Yeah. But the thing is, no, I, everybody has to have their thing. And for some people, it might be public speaking where they have this fear. And to conf- it's to confront the fear or push through discomfort. It's any Either of those two, it's the same thing, actually. A fear is a discomfort. Yeah. And to push through that and come out the other side, I don't think there's anything that is better at building self-esteem, mm-hmm. self-worth. Confidence. Yeah. And but that's why I was curious when you talked about the public speaking. I think it should be on every school curriculum. I think everybody should be encouraged at least to do it. But maybe it's jumping out of an airplane or doing a bungee jump. Yeah. Anything that makes you confront your inner fears.
1: Yeah. I think through. Yeah. I totally agree. I think for anyone that's listening to this, I think the most important thing is to confront your fears and as opposed to run away from them. Clear mind of all those, all, all that anxiety and just go, I'm going to do it. All the, the thoughts that I bring into my mind are all going to be positive. Questions I need to ask in a, a meeting or a conference, a conference, are all going to be positive. And it's, it's super, super important. I think for today's society, you've just got to get out there and sell yourself and, you know, be a better you. And you know what? It's, it's strange, Paul, for me, I've been, I've actually been managing people for 27 years, my God. Makes me feel very old, but it is one of those things. When you're managing this generation, the younger generation, every day is is a school day, especially at the company that I work at the moment. Every day is a school day, and it's brilliant. It keeps everyone active. It's wonderful. You learn so much. I learn so much from my team. They're learning from the company and myself, and it's great. It's so important. I think for me, I'm constantly learning. Although I've got the confidence, I'm always learning, and I think that's. I think that says so much in a job. If you've got that enjoyment in a job that I have so much in my current role, then you don't see it as a job anymore. You, you, and that, oh God, this sounds really cheesy. You don't see it as a job. It's something that you just, you get into the office, you turn on your laptop and think, okay, let's get on with it. And it's a passion that you enjoy.
0: I've noticed you say a few times, this is going to sound. It's like you're processing what you're going to say before you actually say it, which is a, a, it's a real skill. It's a high form of self-awareness. I'm curious to know if you were always like that. You had a sense of how you were perceived and what you were thinking, how that might be perceived and thought of.
1: Yeah, I, 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 it's one of those things I remember being in, living in school in Bristol and me as a kind of awkward teenager. Saying things or doing things and then analyzing it for overthinking it for hours overnight the next day. And try to then rectify what you'd said, thinking, oh God, does this sound oh, I don't know. And and then spend painting over it. So it's something I've always done, always worried about what people think. Then after a while, you become, I suppose as you get older, you have life skills, things happen to you, you learn from those. you just get on with it and think whatever if people don't like what i've just said or they question then i'm happy to think you need to be very when you're making a bold statement or when you're you're deciding how to set up a brand new biz dev team like i've done with automata you have to know what you're going to do with your plan and you stick with it there's a very famous woman anna wintour she heads up conde nast and vogue magazine in america brilliant been doing it for many years. And I've been listening to one of her documentaries and she talks a lot about the, once you've made that decision, you stick by it. You you make a decision to set up a new team, whatever it is, and you stand by your beliefs. And mm. I think that's super important. If you know what you're doing, you make that decision, then you stand by what you believe in.
0: You mentioned your father as an inspiration. I'm interested to know in, in, in more of a sort of external world, mentor-type individual, somebody maybe you may never meet in your life, somebody like that who's inspired you, whose values you connect with and want to, I guess, repurpose in some way in your own life.
1: Oh, it's, uh, So someone I will never meet, who I have so much respect for, is it has to be Anna, Anna Wintour. She's amazing. She's run... Condé Nast strope Vogue for so many years lives in another country I've done the same thing and not for as long as her so has been so successful has she talks a lot in this documentary about keeping yourself up to date and relevant and she's an older lady i don't actually know how old she is but she understands the younger generation she knows all the new designers all the new photographers she knows all the music so she, it's not as though she's sitting there in her glass office getting everyone else to sort out the magazine. She is very much involved in the meetings every week. She knows all the new and upcoming designers and the photographers. And she says in this documentary, keep yourself relevant. And that's what I aspire to do every day is learn about whether it's learning from my biz dev team, learning about things that they do. Uh, We've got a thing going at the moment about a Nintendo Switch and I just don't get it. But anyway, I will get there and understand what the hell it is. So they laugh at me and they explain what it is and learning new software. It's making yourself relevant. I, the last thing I want is to be outdated and then to someone come along and go, you should have used this software or did you know that you can do this? Keeping yourself relevant, educating yourself every day.
0: It's a really interesting one. I wouldn't mind exploring this one a little bit further because as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking there is a, oh, I don't know what it is. There's a temptation. For example, I. One of the first things I ever did was writing software as a job. But yeah. those skills are way outdated because it's just that business moves so fast. But I do have a desire to keep up to date with technologies. But I do struggle because it's such a broad area. And you have your own stuff to get on with as well. Yeah. And, but I also think, and I, I'm wondering, I wanted to get your thoughts on it, is, it, is there a personality thing as well that some people just want a comfortable life and constantly having to update your stuff and stay relevant is effort. It's tiring. It can be, right? And it's more than that. It's not tiring. It's frustrating because as you try to learn new stuff, you're reminded how much you, or how much you don't know. And it's, if you've ever tried to, let's say you're a swim and you're a breaststroker and you try to swim over arm, it's really frustrating because you realize in this area I'm competent. I know how to swim this way. I feel like a fool. I feel like a beginner, and and I don't. I want to move away from that. Yeah. And I'm wondering if there's if that's more of it in our own minds. We just become intellectually lazy, or maybe that's too harsh. Maybe just complacent. Versus your the condonast uh, Anna. You said was her name, was it? Anna Wintour. Yeah. Anna Wintour, is that she has this insatiable curiosity and an openness and a belief that that new is sometimes better often but it's always different
1: hmm.
0: and yeah. i just think is it it's a mindset thing i wonder yeah. i'm just curious to know what your own thoughts on that as you be, clearly you respect that aspect of anna is the staying relevant
1: I think for me, you've got to stay relevant; otherwise, someone will come along and take your place. Quite frankly, I think if you are old school, uh, I, I've seen it in the past. I've seen people that have stuck with their ways, and they become irrelevant to a company. Mm. And mm. I think for me, I see it as a great excitement. Mm. Um, w- working at Automata, I've I'm very fortunate that I'm working there because they've been very open with allowing me just to get on and do my job in order to make. The, the business, the company, mm. the department is a success. So I've brought in a lot of new softwares that I've used before, but I've always, I'm still, I'm currently looking at new softwares to use. And mm. for me, I love it. <laughs> Having worked in a software as a service background in the past for years, I love looking at new software. What can it do? How can it change? Why would I want to use it? Why is it relevant? And I love, I do love sitting on a good demo. If it's something I'm quite interested in, I love hearing the pitch. Mm from someone and asking them those perhaps difficult questions, not intentionally to trip them up, but I'm just curious. You've got to keep yourself relevant.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think there's something else. I think you're still too young to run into this one is I do think there's also a hurdle you have to overcome, which is the perception is as you age, you're automatically less relevant as in you don't know. I've seen this. It's not... It doesn't come from a malicious place in people. It's just an assumption. I'll give you an example. Uh, I do a lot of video work in, in my business yeah. and it's photography is something I'm interested in. So I, I understand cameras, lighting, audio. I'm good with that. But I've run into many people over the years in my own business who will come up to me and say, oh, Paul, I love your videos. Does re- my son, does Rean, do those for you? And it's an automatic assumption. That he just... somebody my age couldn't do it. Yeah. And I, it's it, not a one-off. Happened to me many times. And so much so now when I hear bristle. I know I shouldn't, but there, there is that I think you have to overcome. And therefore, if you're not staying up to date, not just up to date, I think you need to be ahead of the curve in order to overcompensate almost for that inbuilt bias that yeah. there is that the older you get. And by the way, it's not an unfair bias. It's like a lot of biases There are stereotypes, I should say, yeah. uh, is that it's there for a reason because a lot of people just don't stay relevant. And therefore, it's, it is hard. It is hard with things that change so much.
1: So I find that really interesting, you making that comment, because in, in Chinese culture, the older you are, the more respected and listened to you are. So it's, I see what I totally get it. I totally understand it. My kind of whole thing with my BDR team at the moment and this Nintendo Switch, they just laugh at me. Overall, um, from a cultural point of view, yeah, it, it, living in Hong yeah. Kong, the older generation were yeah. seen as the knowledgeable ones. But
0: uh, I think it's specifically more to do with technology than anything else. I think if it's, uh, if it's if an aged wisdom, I don't think that's so much of an issue. But the yeah, and there are aspects of it that it's always going to. I think the sands shift underneath your feet because I was listening to an article the other day saying that even a thumbs up emoji now in a message shows that you're old. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> really? When did that happen? <laughs> so we, Nobody consulted me about that. I think they're great.
1: <laughs> well, that, <laughs> but there's that, this. That's yeah. scary, isn't it? So we have, we use Slack and people create, there are people in marketing that create emojis. So you can ask mm. One of my colleagues create emoji. So actually, I don't think I ever use, I occasionally use thumbs up, but usually it's some emoji of someone that's done something. One of my colleagues was eating something and it, you know, anyway, so it, you can create these broad emojis. That's what you need to get, Paul. An emoji maker, instead of the thumbs up.
0: I didn't even know such a thing existed. An emoji does. maker. See? <laughs> Brilliant. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I got on Be Real the other day, just again, my daughter's in Malta in college and I decided to, but a honest part of it is me trying to stay relevant with some yeah. of the applications. I, I, even talking about that makes me sound like an old fart. That's, tell me, I want to talk, you said you've been managing people for 20 years now at this stage. 27. Well, 27, wow. I know. I'm, I'm interested in... That journey in terms of what you've learned about people as as you went from an individual contributor to managing people, and I, I guess you're still learning. So I'm always fascinated by people and what it takes to get the most out of them. So talk to me a little bit about that.
1: I started managing people in Hong Kong and I think any new manager... Want to be seen as a friendly, approachable, nice. And I think sometimes when you first start managing, you almost want to be their friend. And then when you've got to ask them difficult things, you've passed, gone past that that approach of you can't ask them because you, you go out for drinks with them or whatever it is. It, it's, it was the first couple of people that I managed. I think I wanted to be, oh, she's so approachable. And then when it comes to a difficult thing of, letting people go, it was very difficult. When you've got to deliver a difficult message, that doesn't cut it. You can still be a nice person to people, join in and be friendly, but there is always that that difference between a colleague and you're the manager of that colleague. You all, you can never, in certain situations, I wouldn't go out. I, I wouldn't necessarily go out for drinks. At Christmas dues, I will go out, but then I'm not going to go to the clubs after. That's not going to happen. Yes. It's just not going to happen. So you have to keep that that in the back of your head that you are the manager at the end of the day. You don't want the coming in on a Monday saying, you had a great time at the staff party on Saturday night. Let me tell you about what happened. You don't want that mm.
0: happening.
1: That's never happened to me. <laughs>
0: okay. What about how you transitioned? And here's where I'm coming from that. A lot of people I speak to talk about letting go of the skills and activities they were involved in as an individual contributor, where they're now having to
1: oh achieve you see, that
0: through other people.
1: Paul, you just cut out then.
0: Oh, sorry. Let me repeat that. So, what I'm also interested in is the as you transition into a leadership role, the the letting go although probably maybe it's another it's a bad question because you started that 27 years ago is but i'm always fascinated by the here's what i'm fascinated with is the common elements of the transition story from individual contributor to leader and one of those threads is the how difficult it is to let go of the things you do as an individual contributor maybe you're excellent uh, at making outbound calls as an example mm-hmm. and then you're now in a leadership role now you're managing other people who are doing that yeah. and the temptation then maybe to jump on the phone yeah it's yeah. that yeah how do you manage that trust all down to trust
1: yeah. it has to be paul you cannot run a team if you don't trust them what's the point of employing a whole team of people, if you are going to do the job for them. Don't worry, it's okay, I'll make the 50 calls that you were due to make today. I'll do it because I know I can get a, I can get a better re- result. Uh, the other thing mm. is education. If you educate those people to pass on that knowledge to them, you know that you've taught them in a way that they will do the job the way you want them to do it. You know it's going to be successful mm. if they do it that way. If they follow the process that you've laid out to them, you know it's going to be a success. So it's trust and education. And it has to be. Every time I start a new job, it's got to be.
0: I'm wondering as well, how much of it is our own need to let go of control versus our own belief that others can do it?
1: Yeah. Sometimes, and I've come across this, you... When you employ people you don't really know them until you start working with them you see them on a piece of paper you have a couple of meetings with them so you will get to a point where you're you're setting up a team and someone isn't doing as well as the others and that happens that does happen in terms of letting go something you have to you get educate them to a point and you have to let them get on with things I've done this and three previous companies, you just got to let, you've got to trust people. You just got to let them get on with it. If they fall, if they screw up, then I'm there. And then what did you learn? I have an old boss that I've worked with for years for a couple of companies, a guy called Dom, and he always refers to win, learn, change. So if something doesn't go quite right, what did you win from that? What did you learn and what can you do to change? And I love that. So I really stick by that kind of mantra of win, learn, change. So if something doesn't go right for any of my teams, let's step back, win, learn, change. Let's have a look and see. And I think for me, that's it's not a case of, what did you do? You screwed up. Oh my God. It's Let's sit back and have a look at this. So there's the positive. Let's see what we can change. And uh, what went wrong? So it's the good, bad, ugly. I love
0: it. I love it. A couple of more questions before we finish up. Rebecca, more kind of a personal nature. What do you like to do? to unwind and relax when you're away from work?
1: I, if I didn't say this, my team would question me. I love Starbucks, they love the playful. Do you collect the mugs? I collect, ugh, I don't tell them. I do collect the mugs and <laughs> whenever I go to States for work, I always come back with some Starbucks paraphernalia. And I know actually in my office at work, we have a very open desk policy. And the BDR desk, they're happy to, more than happy for everyone to sit there, my BDRs, but Costa Coffee's banned from my, from my desk. They can have Starbucks, they can't have Costa. So I love Starbucks. I love going for a coffee. I love to, I love going to the gym. So I do a 5K, but that's on a running machine. I'm still not going to do a marathon. So I, I do enjoy, that's, I think that's so good mentally as well. Where I live on Dartmoor, I'm very fortunate to live where I live. I will disappear off wandering. Although my husband does put a tracker on me because I do tend to disappear off in the wrong direction and end up somewhere <laughs>
0: if he comes to pick me up. And that, that Are you like me, so no sense of direction?
1: No, he shows me a map. He's ex-army, so he drives him up the oh. wall and shows me a map. And uh, I just, that's fine. I'll just I think I'm going that way. So that, those are my passions. That's what I love to do when I'm not working. That's, that's what I love to do. I'm also my daughter, my youngest daughter loves to dance and weekends. I'm usually running here, there, and everywhere for dance competitions and things.
0: If you were a minister for education, what one subject would you make sure that was on the, I don't know, GCSE A level curriculum and make, that would be mandatory for everybody going through secondary school?
1: Life skills got to be life skills, confidence and life skills. I just feel when people go through the, when they finish at their GCSEs, A-levels, they do B-tech degrees, H N T, whatever it is, the amount of people that don't have a life skill, even addressing an envelope where the stamp goes where the address should go, just drives me up the wall. Life skills, public speaking, as we've said before, got to be done. Mm. Having the confidence... To go out and speak to people, I think is gold dust, but life's even things down to how to interpret your first pay packet. I've Mm. spoken to people, new BDRs, and they just, you told me I was going to get this, but I haven't got that much. What, what's going on? So having to help them to understand their first ever pay packet, life skills. It's not there. It should be.
0: Interesting. No, I I I don't understand why it isn't. There's so a common one that people will say finances, which is to your yeah. point as well. Yeah. It's one of those life skills or communication skills, yeah. just dealing with the world out there. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. It's actually on that. <laughs> it's a minor point, but punctuation yeah. is no. I'm not a. Maybe I am a. What do they call them? A grammar Nazi. <laughs> I am a little, My my mother was like that. I have her to thank for it, but. I notice now with Gen Z, because my my daughter tells me about it, she'll say that punctuation is now considered by Gen Z as rude. That if you write a message to somebody, putting in full stops is considered. She says to me, if I didn't know you, Dad, that if, you know, when you send a message and you put in full stop and brackets and whatever else is in there, she said, think you're upset with me for some reason. Wow. That it just, their sentences just flow. Yeah. that kind of thing, that's a recipe for disaster because when it's like that, you can interpret that any which way. Exactly.
1: Totally agree. Just very quickly I with that, with the younger generation, the one thing that drives me up the wall is when someone will message you go, hey, they won't use your name. Hi, Rebecca. They'll go, hey, H-E-Y at the end. <laughs> Ooh, drives me up the wall. Hey, hey. <laughs> no, my name's Rebecca.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, okay. <laughs> I know, but look, again, I, you know what? I'm also aware as any time I hear myself say the younger generation, I'm already painting myself into the old farts corner. Yeah. And that's not good either. So I know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, a couple of final questions. I'm just really conscious of time. Desert Island. You're going to be marooned on a desert island. You don't know if you'll ever be rescued again. What one item would you take? You cannot be a person. Starbucks.
1: It would be a Starbucks decaf Americano barista machine. Constant supply of... I'd have to have a cow there, so cow's milk on the side. So it would have to be a Starbucks barista machine that was constantly... I've I've never
0: understood decaf coffee. I've never understood. That's not coffee.
1: It is. It is. If you have it strong enough. If you have it strong enough. has caffeine. It feels... it feels like a real coffee if you have it decaf, but you've got to have it super strong. Tricking the mind, retrain your mind, Paul. <laughs>
0: okay. All right, I'll give that a shot. I only ever see that in the states. When I'm over there, you'll see the yeah. big canister, and of course, it's not even proper coffee. It's just, it's I don't know. I think it's instant coffee topped up with hot water. Nah. you have the and it'll always be labeled. I noticed that in when I go to conferences in the states. They'll, they'll, it'll be a massive metal, maybe a ten-gallon metal tank of coffee with a little tap on it, and underneath it'll say Starbucks. <laughs> oh, I don't even really know what that means. But Starbucks don't grow the coffee. They don't what you call it roasted. It. What does that mean? I don't know. And then it'll have decaffeinated one beside it, and i go and there's a queue for that one. I'm gonna go.
1: You never trust the hotel Starbucks. You've got to order in from Uber Eats.
0: That's okay. A There's a, that's a pro tip for anybody listening. I'd yeah. never thought of that. Okay. <laughs> Very good. Final question, Rebecca. There's a book written about your life. When your time on this planet is done, what would you like the title of it be?
1: Oh, gosh. Learning through experience. Oh, that sounds a bit naff, doesn't it? Does sound, uh, no one will want to, no one's going to want to pick that one up. Learning through experience. Take, no,
0: by the way, the idea is solid. Maybe the title needs to be reworked Something like, taking the hard road. Yeah. Something like taking that, the, but it's. It, taking
1: yeah. the, i tell you what, I've got it. Taking the scenic route. I refer to people Oof. who, they don't go get their straight A's and their A levels and their uni. That I would say to their parents, oh God, they fret about what's going to happen to that child. And say they're taking the scenery, scenic route. But they'll all yeah. get there in the end. Yeah, and I can, of I my do. life, I've taken the scenic route and I've got there in the end. And I think that's the thing. That's what it's all about.
0: Magic. That sounds better. I love it. I'll You're absolutely your right. Pre- get your pre-orders in now. I'll sign you a coffee, Paul. No, 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 I shouldn't say that. That's wrong because I did say it's when your time on this planet oh, is gone. So <laughs> it would feel inappropriate putting a pre-order <laughs> on the book, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyhow... Rebecca, thank you so much for being my guest today. I've enjoyed it thoroughly. It's been
1: great. Thank you so much, Paul. Cheers.